Buying tickets to sports events and concerts can be complicated and confusing, but there is a better, simpler way to buy with SeatGeek. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And SeatGeek also has plenty of concert, comedy, and theater tickets available. Best of all, Ringer MLB Show listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab, and click add a promo code, and then enter the promo code RINGERMLB. That's all one word. SeatGeek will send you $20 after you made your first ticket purchase, so download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code RINGERMLB today. We also want to thank Revent Optics. If you own sunglasses, you know that scratches happen. With Revent Optics, you can replace your lenses and save your sunglasses. Revent Optics offers high-quality polarized, non-polarized, and prescription replacement lenses for any brand. Starting at just $24 a pair, they're crystal clear, guaranteed to fit, and backed by a one-year warranty. So go to reventoptics.com MLB today and get 20% off your first pair of lenses with offer code MLB. Welcome to the Ringer MLB Show. My name is Michael Bauman. I'm a staff writer at TheRinger.com. And joining me, as always, is my fellow staff writer, Ben Lindbergh. Ben Lindbergh, how you doing? Hello. I'm good. We're not getting any All-Star break. No. This podcast, like the celebrity softball game, is recorded on Sunday night and will air on Monday. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, it's good. I wish we were getting an All-Star break because I realize I'm like 38 episodes behind on binge mode and Game of Thrones (laughs) is coming back on Sunday. So don't have much time to catch up. (laughs) I I think every literally every waking moment this week, I will either be writing or listening to binge mode so I can (laughs) get it done. Yeah. So we are doing an All-Star set episode, we are going to talk about, I would say, five of the unlikeliest all-stars. I won't say the unlikeliest, but as we talked about last week, it's great to have guys who appear in the game every single year and you can count on their stardom. But it's also fun to have a selection of players who kind of come out of nowhere and don't have all-star track records, but at least can put together an all-star half a season. These are all veteran guys who are making their all-star debuts or have been selected to the all-star team for for the first time in their careers. They're all, I think, 26 or older. We're not going to talk about every single player who fits this definition. So we're not including Yonder Alonso here because I think we know his story. We included him as an honorable mention in the best stories of the first half. He's changed his swing. He started swinging harder and, and aiming up and he's been great or at least was great early in the season. So I think we all know the Yonder Alonso story. We're not going to include Corey Dickerson because he did have a season where he played at roughly this level before. Not going to include Brad Hand, A, because he's a reliever, B, because he was really good last year too. So we're looking for the guys who've really reached a new level at a fairly late point in their careers compared to the guys who make an all-star team right out of the gate. So we are going to be focusing on Alex Wood of the Dodgers, Jason Vargas of the Royals, Avisel Garcia of the White Sox, Justin Smoke of the Blue Jays, and Zach Cozart of the Reds. And so we're just going to go one by one, devote about 10 minutes to each of these guys, talk to someone who covers their team, 
and find out how we ended up in a world where these guys are all-stars for the first time. And are they flukes? Are they real? Did they change something? If so, what was it? Will it continue? And we will get into some trade deadline and playoff ramifications in the course of these conversations too. Yeah. And a little bit of discussion about the old gorilla ball bats from college baseball at the turn of the century. Well, naturally, of course, we would have to work that in somehow. So, all right, well, we will just get to these conversations, rapid fire interviews, and we will start with Alex Wood. Here's an 0-1. Off the hands to the mound. Wood gets it and out at second and a double play. Alex Wood doing it all. They put two on but no damage and still no runs against Wood. All right. So the first all-star we're going to talk about today, I think, is maybe the least surprising. He's one of the youngest and probably has one of the best track records. He played at an all-star caliber level in years past, although not like he has this year. So it's Alex Wood, the Dodgers starter who is replacing Clayton Kershaw on the NL All-Star roster. And to talk about Alex Wood, we're bringing in Eric Steven, the proprietor of True Blue LA, SB Nation's Dodgers site. Hey, Eric. How you guys doing? Great. Alex Wood has just been phenomenal. He's he's always kind of been one of those guys who's fairly effective when he's healthy and hasn't been healthy reliably. But this year, he has just taken it to another level. He's just been kind of on an inning per inning basis, one of the best pitchers in baseball. Absolutely. I think um, you mentioned that, that the health is a big reason. Um, he always he has that real funky delivery where he, he has all these sort of moving parts and he looks like a like a really weird, weird bird, like in the middle of his delivery, but uh, he always sort of gets that the points he needs to get to get the ball to home plate. He's usually in a good spot and that um, it's, it works for him, I guess is the best way to put it, but uh, he's been, mm-hmm. he's like fully healthy this year. And he sort of mentioned that uh, in the off season, he was healthy. He didn't have to do any like rehab type stuff. And um, you know, I think part of that is being healthy. Part of it's like confidence uh, just sort of building on itself after his good start. Although he, he started the year in the bullpen, which is, you know, he told Dave Roberts, I guess, when he got the news that he wasn't going to be in the rotation to start the year, he said, I think you're making a mistake. And, you know, but he, you know, he handled it well. He did that last last year, too. But, yeah, he just his velocity's up. I think his fastball is like about two miles an hour faster. We For a while, we thought it was just, you know, playing up in the bullpen, but it's held up as a starter. So he, he does seem like a like a sort of a, a revamped Alex Wood. And it's been it's been kind of like. You know, like you said, it's amazing to see. I mean, I, I there's no way I would have predicted, you know, anywhere close to, you know, whatever, 167 ERA and like a yeah. two FIP or whatever he's at. It's, it's been pretty nuts. Because of that, not just the track record, but the delivery was raising questions about his eventual durability all the way back to his time with Atlanta. So is he doing anything differently? Because, I mean, this is he's one of like 11 good big league starting pitchers the Dodgers have under contract, who, right. of whom they hope that five are healthy at any yeah. one time. That's that's right. They that, they do like a little sorting out process, and it's like it's literally like a musical chairs thing. Like, well, let's see who's in the rotation this week, and then they just stop the music, and whoever gets a seat gets a start. <laughs> um, it, it's weird because you know Clayton Kershaw is going to end up with his usual like 220 innings or whatever, and even though the way the current starting staff is going, I don't think anyone else on the staff's going to like qualify for the ERA title. They're all they've all sort of been managed. Like anytime some anything comes up physically, they're 
basically put someone on the 10-day DL just to get rest. So I think they're going to do the same, even for Alex Wood, even as well as he's pitching. If something comes up in the second half, just given that he missed three months last year with elbow surgery, it's hard for him to go from, say, 60 innings to 170 probably. Although, I, I don't know. It's hard It's hard to say. But I think they're just ma- mainly just want him to be healthy in October. They really haven't pushed him. Like, he, he's been taken out, like, after six innings and, like, you know, in the eighties in pitches, sometimes like 75. So they, I think they're really conservative with him because they just, they just want him to be healthy in October. But in terms of doing anything different, I I just think it is really his health. He sort of um, changes mechanics. He had a foot injury when he first came over to the Dodgers in 2015. And then last year he got hurt swinging a bat. That's how he hurt his, officially hurt his elbow, which ended up requiring surgery. So it's been like this like weird struggle but I think it's just that he's finally healthy and that's he's just been able to sort of finally blossom, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so has that usage pattern made Dodgers starters seem more effective across the board just because they're not really being asked to go deep into games to face hitters three times in a game? So is that sort of artificially inflating their stats to a, a certain degree relative to starters on other teams that are using guys a, a little more heavily? Yeah, I think maybe as a whole, it, it's probably helping out. I think Alex Wood specifically is he's I won't I won't say he's grown past that because he's been pitching so well that they have kept him in games a little bit longer of late. Mm-hmm. And actually, Rich Hill, ever since he sort of made his um, he made a little bit of a tweak to his delivery like uh, four starts ago. And he looks like the old new Rich Hill, I guess, is the way to put it. So, <laughs> yes. so, so they're relying on him a little more now, too. And Brandon McCarthy, before he sort of had his little slight recurrence of the yips, like a, a very isolated one inning incident. Uh, he, he was looking good too so I think ideally they'd want these guys to go six innings plus and seven occasionally but I think I just think that they they're just very aggressive any any sign of like if they have a, a rough inning a long inning even if it's like they're still pitching well they'll just yank them pretty much everybody but Kershaw and the other question you look at somebody like Wood apart from staying healthy just because of the delivery but because he's a low arm slot lefty you worry about him with platoon splits and this year he's been almost completely even and even throughout his career he's been better against lefties and righties but the split hasn't been completely killer and one reason for that is he's got a lot of arm side run on his fastball and he's got change up with a lot of arm side run that he's throwing a little bit more uh this year than in years past is he altered his approach at all this year as opposed to last year is this just you know everything that we this isn't that's surprising to me because he's been really good in, in years past. And he's a hard throwing lefty and he's got the change up. So like he's he's got like a four win season in his past, but the sub two ERA, as you said, is, is surprising. So, it's, you know, this just all the promise coming together and over 80 innings, you know, anybody can get this hot or, or are you seeing changes in the way he's attacking hitters? Yeah, I think I think there's definitely changes. But like like you said, part of it's not it's not totally surprising because he does have the track record. I mean, you know, it, it's funny because um, John Capalella, the Braves GM, he's, he's literally publicly apologized twice for the, the Hector Oliveira trade, which got the <laughs> Dodgers Alex Wood. And that's like before the Wood started the season. So like, it's just, it's just weird. Now I wonder how he feels. No, now I mean, about it. That I says a lot about Hector Oliveira. Too. I know, I know. I, I, <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so, the, and also Alex Wood, he's, he's been, he's like a reserved guy. I think he definitely has confidence, but he's also kind of uh, not shy, maybe a little shy with the media. 
But um, this year he's, he's opened up a little more. And actually it was funny because when he, we were talking about his all-star bid the other day, when he finally got the news, someone asked him about like the Dodgers pursuit of like needing a number two starter. And he said, like, just matter of fact, he's like, look, if you look at my career numbers, go, go find me someone who's a number two starter with better career numbers than I have. And then we could talk. <laughs> I was like, wow. All right. That, that kind of came out of nowhere. But um, in yeah. Ter- yeah, in terms of him uh, changing, he mentioned something the other day. I haven't looked at heat maps or anything or just how he's been pitching, but he mentioned attacking like all four quadrants of the strike zone. And I think maybe he's been, didn't do that before. So I think he's, they usually have pretty good like scouting game plans against teams. I think it's just a matter of him having confidence to throw to all four parts of the strike zone. And I think that's probably helped him open things up a little bit. So lastly, you just alluded to the idea that maybe the Dodgers need to go get a starter. Well, you know, as the saying goes, if the season ended today, they would have, I think, one of the scariest playoff rotations in baseball with Kershaw and Hill pitching as well as ever in his last four starts and would be in great. But when two of those guys are Hill and Wood, it's a little tough to count on them still being there in half a season. So what do you think they will do? Of course, they have this very deep starter depth chart that they can keep rotating guys in. So will they be players for one of the top starters on the market? Or has the emergence of Wood and the resurgence of Hill given them the confidence not to make a major move? I mean, it's a great question because I, I think this team is is um, is performing so well. And I think even if they weren't on whatever pace they're on now, I think going into the season, I think the thought was this is the best team of this current like five-year run, at least for now. And I, I think there's probably a little bit of like we want to strike during the Kershaw window, which is through next season. So if they can get a pitcher who's, say, under contract – through this season and next, that's probably their preference. But yeah, I, I, do, I really have no read on it because, like you said, they're they're making the playoffs. They're gonna they're gonna win the division probably, even if uh, barring a collapse. So in terms of like increasing playoff odds, it's that age old question. They don't they don't need another starter. Do they need one in the playoffs to make them a you know give them a slightly better percentage of winning? I mean. Maybe it's maybe it's a psychological thing. You you tried you're you're trying to boost the room a little bit, but um, I I don't know. I mean they they have a, a wide array of possibilities here because like you said they they could they could open up and trade Alex Verdugo or Willie Calhoun or or Yadier Alvarez and get a, a pretty good you know starting pitcher, or they could just continue on this sort of path. I mean I don't I don't know if any of those guys are going to have the impact that say. Um, Seeger and Bellinger have the, the last two years, but they could just sort of keep writing that out. So it's really hard to say, but I, I have a feeling they're going to get, I think they're going to get at least one starter, at least one reliever. I don't know who those are going to be. It's probably going to be someone we, we're not, no one's talking about. So I don't know how, you know, these guys are, I'm sure they'll leave no stone unturned. I'll say that. I have a fun fact before we go. The, the Dodgers top five pitchers and in innings pitched Kershaw, Wood, <laughs> Kentamaeda, Brandon McCarthy, and Hyunjin Ryu uh, all have either 21 or 22 walks on the season. You, you know, it's a, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, you can find Eric on Twitter at TrueBlueLA. You can also read him at TrueBlueLA.com. Eric, thank you very much. Thanks for having me, guys. And uh, I did some college baseball research just in case, but it turns yes. out I didn't need it. So <laughs> see you guys. And we're we out of time. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Eric. You should have led with that, man. We could have talked about <laughs> University of Georgia and Alex with history there. And how, how the Dodgers <laughs> didn't sign Deacon Lippitt out of uh, Florida. I was mad about that. Oh, I missed that. That's, so he's, that's he's like a sophomore. So, I mean, it's understandable that he went back. He's a low. Yeah, low he's pick. a good player, though. 
Uh, you're yeah. breaking up, Eric. <laughs> yep. Gotta let Can't you go. You guys. Yeah. See right. ya. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. And Vargas gets him to really reach for one. An off-speed pitch for strike three, and that's the third strikeout for Jason this afternoon. Yeah. That's just not a, not a fun position to be in if you're a hitter. But we've seen Vargas do that to many a right-hander. So maybe the most perplexing player we are talking about today is Jason Vargas, Royal starter, who has ace-like numbers, at least surface stats, and has been confusing me all season. I don't know what to make of Jason Vargas, but maybe the most definitive Jason Vargas deep dive I've seen so far was written by Rustin Dodd, who covers the Royals for the Kansas City Star this past weekend. And he is joining us now to explain the mystery of Jason Vargas. Hi, Rustin. Hey, Ben. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. So explain to us what is going on here. What is Jason Vargas doing differently? What is the origin story here? Because Vargas actually has been quite good throughout his entire Royals tenure, although he missed most of two seasons. But when he's been on the mound, he's been fairly effective. But this season obviously has been a different story altogether. He is a first-time All-Star. How did we arrive in a world where Jason Vargas at almost 35 years old is an all-star. Yeah, you mentioned the uh, the Tommy John surgery, which he had in uh, August of 2015, uh, which may be part of the strangest part of this story, or at least his story, because he missed the rest of the 2015 season, didn't pitch, obviously, while the Royals went to the World Series, uh, then missed most of 2016, and then came back last September and was almost instantly good. He made three starts last September, and they were not he only would go two or three innings, but he put up a ERA in the twos, and he was just instantly good coming off Tommy John surgery. Which sometimes guys struggle with their command. You know, they're throwing with a new tendon in their elbow, and it doesn't seem like it goes very well. And then he came back in 2017, and he seemed to be even better. His changeup obviously has always been a good pitch, and so as I was sort of looking around to see what was different about Jason Vargas, there's not a lot that would indicate that he's much of a different pitcher than he has been before. But one thing that is different about him is that he's throwing from a slightly different arm slot. It's a little bit lower, probably like two inches or so, maybe three, I guess. If you look at the graphs on how much lower it is, it's somewhere in the two to three inch range. Um, And I asked, as I was sort of poking around at this, I asked Jason if he had done this on purpose and he basically indicated that he didn't really realize that he was throwing from a a lower arm slot. However, Royals pitching coach Dave Island, when I asked him about it, he said, yeah, he noticed this when he came back from Tommy John surgery, that his arm just sort of naturally went to a lower release point and that he did it while he was playing long toss and then in bullpens last year. So he noticed this little change and then he noticed that the movement on his fastball was better and the movement on his changeup was better. And he figured, you know, if that's, you know, maybe in the past, Vargas had, had tried to throw a little bit more over the top and it sort of, it's kind of a different couple of different theories on why he had thrown from a higher release point in the past, but maybe just coming back from injury, it felt more natural and better for his arm to be a little bit lower. And if you look at the movement on his changeup and the way that pitch has been so dominating this season, I think it's been the best, third best pitch in baseball. If you look at pitch values on fan graph, it, it seems like that has been the one change. Now, I mean, his command has obviously just been impeccable as well. And 
I, I think that's been part of it. But if you're looking for sort of an indication of why his stuff has turned him from a guy with like a four ERA to one in the twos, I think his changeup is the answer that it's just been, it's been so good this year. And so that seems to be kind of the story, but again, I'm, I'm, I am skeptical of whether or not this content can, continue in the second half of the season but i'm certainly interested to see mm-hmm. yeah and that that sort of plays into what i was going to ask you because the my favorite thing about vargas doing this is that in this era of big young pitchers with the you know the flat fastball slider combo and mid to upper 90s velocity vargas is the opposite of that as much as you can be the only starting pitcher with less fastball velocity than vargas is r.a dickey who's a knuckleballer and he's 115 years old so this feels almost so weird that it can't be fluky like it's so like there's a, a you can't make this up element to to what vargas is doing i think that's right um he actually, you know, he had his best season in 2014 for the Royals when he came over. And I think being with Dave Island, who I never know if pitching coaches are gurus when they have good pitchers or, or if they just certainly make suggestions. But he he added a two-seam fastball to Vargas's kind of arsenal. He had never really thrown one before, and that seemed to work. And so he was good in 2014, and then he's been injured. Um, and he said that he spent so much time on his rehab stint kind of honing in on his delivery that he was always had solid command. And that was obviously why he was a, a good major league pitcher, but that having all that time off almost made him have better command. I'm not sure if, uh, that makes any sense, but, uh, that seems to be kind of one of the explanations. And so if he can continue to command the fastball to both sides of the plate and, pitch off his changeup like he's done. I certainly think he's a better pitcher than maybe his career numbers. Now, I don't know if he's a guy with a 2.62 ERA. I think he's going to see some regression in the second half, but he certainly looks like a solid two or three starter uh, right now. And obviously the Royals are kind of counting on him to be that guy in the second half. Yeah, it's no fun to be the guy who's just dismisses the seemingly fluky half season and says, oh, regression and unsustainable and starts citing advanced stats and all that. But it just seems like, you know, not to completely discount the idea that he's doing some things differently, but it seems like if he were doing something dramatically differently, it would be changing his results more dramatically. Whereas, you know, he's he's not striking out more guys. He doesn't really have a better walk rate. He already did have a good walk rate. He isn't getting more grounders or anything like that. It, it seems like a lot of it is maybe just a sequencing thing where he's been very good with runners on and runners in scoring position. Uh-huh. And, and there's You're value right. in You're that. Right, this is not this is not fun to be that guy. <laughs> I know it's really not. And it's you know it's not to say that he hasn't been a valuable starter because he's done what he's done and he hasn't allowed many runs in 17 starts and and that's been very valuable. But just looking at all the stats, it it just seems like nothing really jumps out to say he's a different guy. Which is again, as you're saying, not to say that he's not still a useful guy because I think even if you look at at FIP or, or whatever, it's still maybe a, a mid-rotation guy who can help you. you. You know, there have been some some scouts and some other people who have watched Vargas and have said that one theory out there is that the environment uh, in terms of guys trying to elevate the baseball and guys selling out for power, that perhaps he's more suited to pitch in this 
sort of era of baseball than he was maybe five to eight years ago when he first came up or even before that. So I don't know if there's any truth to that. But, you know, you've seen guys with his comparable, you know, skill set. Ned Yost recalled Charlie Liebrandt as a guy. I mean, I guess you could use Jamie Moyer. I don't know if that's a very good comparison. But other lefties who have not had a lot of velocity, who have managed to be, you know, fairly, fairly good even into their mid to late 30s because they don't really need to pitch with velocity. So I don't know if Jason Vargas can afford to lose much more. I think most his average velocity, I think, is just 85 or right around 86. But, you know, he can pitch right around 85 on a lot of nights, which is certainly entertaining to watch. Mm-hmm. So this has just been one in a, a series of really bizarre things that have happened to the Royals over the course of a really bizarre season. Is this the most shocking thing that you've seen uh, happen to them this year? Or, or is uh, Mike Miner or Mike Moustakis hitting 25 home runs at the break? You know, it is one of those things to take the cake. Yeah, I mean, individually, I suppose Vargas' season has been the most out of the ordinary. I, I think the Royal season as a whole, uh, like team-wise, they lost nine games in a row in April and they were... 10 and 20 at one point, and I believe they were 24 and 32, and it appeared they were kind of headed for some sort of breakup at the trade deadline, and now that's totally sort of flipped. So I I guess the season has been kind of strange in general, but they managed to weather a month without Danny Duffy, and now they have him back. But yeah, I, I think Jason Vargas would probably be the strangest thing that has happened this year, although, you know, Eric Hosmer couldn't really hit at all for the month of April, and now has been you know, arguably one of the best hitters in baseball since the start of May. And has sort of done that quietly, even though Moussakis has sort of uh, gotten many of the headlines because he he has hit 25 home runs over the uh, first half of the season. Yeah, and I was going to end there when we talked to Jeff Passan to preview the trade deadline on a fairly recent episode. Even then, we were talking about Vargas as a possible guy who would be available, and now it looks like there's no way that will be the case. Not only are the Royals trying to win with this core one last time, but they are also in a pretty decent playoff position, just a, a couple games out of a, a wild card slot. So, what kind of additions could they? potentially be looking at in the next uh, few weeks? Well, I I think, and I don't know what is out there in terms of starting pitching because the Royals farm system, in addition to their ability to take on salary, those are not two strong parts of their uh, situation right now. So we'll see what was out there. Nathan Carnes, who has kind of been their fourth or fifth starter for most of the year until he got hurt, is now likely headed for thoracic outlet surgery. So they will not have him for the rest of the year, likely. So that they are probably in need of another starting pitcher. Um, Travis Wood is currently their fifth starter and will be heading into the second half of the season. So they certainly could be looking for some rotation depth, whether it's just a guy sort of at the back end, or maybe they could be a little bit more aggressive and see what they have to give up in their farm system and, and truly go for it and try to acquire a top guy. I'm not sure that is a likely scenario, but I guess it's something that to consider, but they're going to need some some pitching help, and then their offense could probably use another another bat, somebody that could potentially maybe play right field or DH. Their designated hitter options have been Brandon Moss and Jorge Soler, and they haven't really uh, neither one has clicked all year. So, if there was some sort of some sort of outfielder DH combination guy out there that he had for a reasonable cost. I'm, I'm sure the Royals might be interested in that as well. All right. Well, we will wrap it there. You can read Rustin 
In the KC Star, you can find him on Twitter at Rest and Dodd. Enjoy the break. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, guys. All right, let's take a quick break to hear from a sponsor. We'll be right back after this message. If you're like me and you're not so great at planning ahead when it comes to travel, I've got good news for you. There's this awesome app called Hotel Tonight that helps you find amazing hotel deals at the last minute. It sounds counterintuitive, but unlike flights, hotel rates usually get cheaper at the last minute. And Hotel Tonight helps hotels sell their unsold rooms, allowing them to pass those deals along to you. These aren't last resort places. They're resort places. They're cool, top-rated hotels you want to stay in. With so many great partner hotels in a ton of different countries, Hotel Tonight can help you find a great hotel almost anywhere. It's perfect for a spontaneous getaway or for finally going on that trip you've been wanting to take for a while. I have a bachelor party and a wedding coming up. I'll be recommending Hotel Tonight because even though the app's name is Hotel Tonight, you can book up to a week in advance. All it takes is 10 seconds, just three taps and a swipe. So get in on these killer last-minute deals and download the Hotel Tonight app now. Bobby lights it up left center field. Melky's around third. The ball's all the way to the warning track. Abreu's on his way. Avi's done it again. 2-1 Sox. So at the start of the season, I think if you would ask most people about Abisail Garcia, they might have recalled him as the guy who looked like Miguel Cabrera at the plate, but never hit like him. The former prospect for the White Sox who hadn't really panned out the way that he was expected to. And here we are in early July and Abisail Garcia is an all-star. So to find out how that happened and whether that will continue to happen, we are talking to Dan Hayes, White Sox insider for CSN Chicago. Hey, Dan. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, happy to. So give us the Garcia story. How did we get here? Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy because honestly, I've, I've been saying it a few times this week. I don't think that this would even have been a possibility if the White Sox weren't rebuilding. I mean, you never know what way they go. If they decided to spend a little more money and go for it one more time with Chris Sale and Adam Eaton, there's a chance that they may have moved on from Avisel Garcia and just tried to find a different replacement for right field or DH, whatever it was, because he had kind of just worn out his chances with them. He, you know, he had the 14 season effectively uh, wiped out because of that injury with the, the labrum injury. We were just in Denver and talking to him about that where he dove and, and had season ending surgery. It was like April 9th. And he, he returned, I think at the end of August and played around 40 games that season. But, he was basically just trying to play catch up at that point, 15 and 16. He really never showed signs. And then all of a sudden he gets this chance this year. There's a couple of things that have come into play. One, he's definitely just more dialed in he, on a daily basis. And, and Jose Abreu was talking about that the other day, just how much stronger he is mentally. And, and Garcia said, that's just experience for him that he, he's learned how to kind of get rid of, the day before if it's a struggle or even if it's a good game and, and move on and just prepare for the next day. And I think he struggled with that in the past, just really learned a lot from that, just getting over the failure or the success and, and realizing how important it is to work hard every day. And he, he's talked about that. He's talked about how having Rick Renneria in there is a huge impact for him just because he feels like, like a lot of guys that, that the communication is so easy with the Spanish speaker, the message isn't being lost. And, and really, you've seen that with a couple guys that have rebounded this year. I mean, you look at Leuri Garcia, he had come in this year with a 33% strikeout rate in his career. And he just started putting the ball in play more and playing every day. And they both have said that Rick Renneria has had a big impact on them, that they feel comfortable in his clubhouse. So 
it is crazy. And then who knows if this continues on? I mean, I, I have started to buy into it now, finally. But, uh, you know, at, at some point, um, I, everybody was a skeptic on him. I mean, it's hard not to be the way he struggled. And he, he is slumping going into the All-Star break. And I think he's won for his last 29 or something like that. But that's going to be the big challenge for him is overcoming that. Because in the past, he would disappear for six, seven weeks at a time. Mm. And so far this year, he hasn't done that at all. So even with the White Sox rebuilding, there would be a strong argument to move on from Garcia anyway, as he was a like, it's not even that he hadn't shown it. It looked like he had shown that he didn't have it, if that makes any sense. And he was a second year ARB guy coming into this season. So did the White Sox just figure we'll just roll it back and not go out of our way to to turn over every stone to see if there's a better option? Or, you know, did they suspect that something like this was still possible? Well, they, they have held on and held on and held on. And I think people, White Sox fans in particular, were just tired of waiting. But I think they were so worried about it being a potential David Ortiz that happened to them. You know, they wait so long and then they give up on him and he, and he goes along and just blows up. And and so I, I think that they reluctantly were willing to give him one more shot. But they had some guys that they brought in that were comparable as far as production for their career. I mean, obviously Garcia had more time, but... You look at Reimer Liriano, they brought him in, and he's a guy that had a lot of big expectations for him when the Padres signed him way back. And they claim Willie Garcia from the Pirates off waivers. So they put some candidates out there, three guys who really hadn't done a whole lot in their careers. And it, I, I don't know if that sparked it, what it was, but I, I think that they were so scared of, of the potential for David Ortiz that they wanted to make sure they exhausted it. And because that power potential is massive and he's always been a decent hitter but one thing that they did start pointing out early in the year was that they really liked the way that he hit in with runners in scoring position last year and i think it was even better he was somewhere around 360 with runners in scoring position and i think he hit 14 with runners in scoring position and two outs last year so they saw this little bit of him in a very small sample and said well if you can do that there in, in the toughest situations, why can't you turn this on in the games? And and there was a lot of talk to him about that, about about the focus. If it, if he can do it for that at bat, why can't he do it for all of his bats? And and we've seen a lot more of that this year. Now, the stuff recently, I think you can make an argument. He's been dinged up pretty good, and and he actually on Sunday re maybe triggered his little finger injury. I I'm in Miami. Uh, the team is finished up in in Denver, so won't get a chance to talk to him till Monday, but. He basically said, or he had five games out with a knee inflammation, and then he triggered this uh, middle finger sprain, sprain middle finger on Wednesday, and uh, and sat out a day or two. And basically, his worst stretch has come while he's dinged up a little bit. He has not had any of these at all this year. That's going to be the big key for him because we would see him be good for ten days at a time last year, and then he'd be terrible for up to two months. So if he can eliminate those those uh, valleys. The way he has so far, he's got a real chance to keep this going. And I think the White Sox would feel pretty uh, excited about that. Yeah, I guess that's the question. You know, he had the incredible April and then he was still pretty good in May, June. He fell back to about average or so. And then he's off to a really rough start in July. So you you wonder, given his track record, whether this is going to be one of those guys that at the end of the year, you look back and you say that 
he was an all-star. How did how did that happen? And the, right. the the full season numbers don't match up with the with the all-star status. But have you seen enough that that you think there is a, a real improvement here, and that at least if his health is able to to turn around and he's in decent shape, that he could you know at least be better than we've seen him be in the big leagues for for most of his career going forward. Yeah, I, I think he's in the best possible position to do that. He's going to have to adjust though, because we've seen pitchers start to adjust to him a little bit more and he's going to have to adjust to them. But that said, I mean, again, he, he is in this spot mentally that in four years of covering of, I've never seen, and, and he's focused and he's driven. And, and I think being here is going to be another validation for him of, of that hard work and what it can mean for his future, because they're at the point now where they have to figure out what to do with him. And I know that if the White Sox want to keep him around, they're going to need to see this through the end of the year and, and want him to be strong. But then you think about when, how long do we keep him around for is, is an extension of possibility. And I know they're watching it very closely because he's still just 27. And, and obviously if, if his bat is big like this, that's a real huge addition to their rebuild because they weren't counting on this. You know, last year he was miserable in right field. He's gotten to the point where he's at least average out there and, the weight loss has helped with that. He's running down balls and he's just been more effective in general out there. And, and so it's going to be critical for him to come back and put up another good month and, and just get going in the right direction. So one other thing that I imagine that you've never seen was the Ol Garcia outfield that Avisel was part of that they rolled out for the first time in April. How difficult has it been to keep all three names straight? <laughs> uh, well, you know, given that they are physically all a little different, I imagine that helps. Lauri is, yeah, Lauri is is the little guy comparatively, and basically he looks like uh, like he would be a sandwich for either of those guys because they are so just physically imposing the two of them. Um, and and Willie's been good. Lauri is actually very impressive. He's been hurt now for a little while, but started taking advantage of that speed by putting the the ball in play and. He's been another interesting guy. I mean, they've had a couple of guys where this rebuild is just how did these guys, you know, not do something for the first three, four years of their careers. And, and now here they are kind of taking advantage of the playing time. And been, uh, it's been interesting to see a team that was supposed to be fully rebuilding and, and awful be a little bit better just because guys have taken advantage of their, their positions. And even so, and I guess we can end here for the next few weeks. Rickon is is going to be spending a lot of his time on the phone. He's going to be a, a popular recipient of calls from other GMs leading up to the deadline. So it sounds as if you're saying like Garcia has probably not played himself into a, a trade chip that he may have played himself into a person that the White Sox want to keep around as part of this rebuild. I, it, it's possible. Uh, let me just mm-hmm. let me just say I think. That- anything if they if they got a great offer for him i don't know that they would pass it up but it's a guy they obviously invested a lot of time in so i think they would have to be blown away but you never know i mean anything that's not nailed down is is on the market for sure right and and who are would you say the least nailed down pieces of the roster right now i mean i'm still i'm shocked that david robertson's still here to be honest he's been so good with the strikeout to walk and his his pitches are, are nasty and you know, their bullpen is, is too good for a rebuilding team right now. You look at Tommy Canely, and I think mm-hmm. that if somebody came along and said, we'd love to take a shot on him, the way that relievers fluctuate, I'm sure they would take that if they could get something for him. Jose Quintana is the, the interesting one because they need somebody to meet their price point, and if they don't, they're not going to sell low on him. And that's why I think 
off season might be more of a possibility just because teams are not going to want to give up guys that they need for the pennant race that, you know, that they're acquiring Quintana for in the first place. So that'll be interesting. And I, I think Chris sale was a good case study in that because there were some players, the Red Sox, Moncada was not in that July package that they were talking about. And obviously as a huge piece to the uh, December trade. So I think the bullpen guys are the most, I mean, Melky Cabrera and, and Todd Frazier, uh, those guys could be given away. Uh, you know, they're, they're looking to move on from anything that's not sticking around for the Tim Anderson, Carlos Rodon are the guys that are really here. Yohan Moncada, Michael Kopech, but you know, beyond prospects and young guys, I, I think anybody can go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So before we say goodbye, since you are talking to us in Marlins Park, you have any parting scouting report for us from the celebrity softball game? Man, I, this crowd is a little too in awe of softball homers from major leaguers. That's my, uh, my thought. Aside <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs> from that, that's about all I got for this game. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, you can read Dan at CSNChicago.com. You can find him on Twitter at CSN Hayes. Dan, thank you very much. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Okay, let's take one more quick break to hear from a sponsor, and we'll be right back with more baseball. Getting a good night's sleep is easier said than done, especially when you think you just heard a noise downstairs. Think about it. What would you do in that situation? You could turn on all the lights and keep watch, check your kids' beds every hour, sleep with one eye open, or you can rest easy, knowing that your home and family are protected with Simply Safe. When you install your Simply Safe home security system, you're arming your home with powerful sensors that actually tell you if a door opens or a window breaks. There's a 105 decibel siren that alerts you at the first sign of trouble, and a dedicated team of security professionals watching over you 24/7, ready to send the police. With Simply Safe, there are no long-term contracts and around-the-clock monitoring is only $14.99 a month. So don't spend another night second-guessing your home's safety. Get Simply Safe and get some rest. Go to simplysafe.com/ringer and get a special 10% discount when you order today. Again, that's simplysafe.com/ringer for 10% off your order. Martin off first, a high deep drive to right and you can forget about this one. Get out of here, ball and gone. What a season smoke has had. That's his 23rd home run. Two more RBIs. He has 55. And the Blue Jays have taken an early 3-0 lead. All right. I don't even have a long preamble for this segment. I'm just going to read the slash line. Justin Smoke is hitting 294, 359, 578 with 23 home runs. And that is all the justification we need to talk about Justin Smoke, American League All-Star. And to do that, we are bringing on Andrew Stoughton, who covers the Blue Jays for Blue Jays Nation and Vice Sports and the Athletic Toronto and does the Birds All Day podcast. And I assume has spent a lot of the last few months talking about Justin Smoke or marveling at Justin Smoke. So hello, Andrew. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, I definitely have. It's been a nice change for uh, for the pre- <laughs> previous few months. You know, it was uh, horrible for <laughs> around here about Smoke. But yeah, no, it's uh, nice to talk about him in a good way. Yeah. So why are we talking about him in a good way? What is going on with Justin Smoke? Uh, you know, it seems to come down to him just not not swinging for the fences all the time is, is kind of the simple explanation that the team wants to put on it and that he's sort of put on it. And, uh, you know, it, it seems silly that it could be such a small change and something that he you know hadn't done before but he's he it seems to have led to him not 
swinging at, at stuff low and away and, and, you know, all the strikeout troubles that he's had over the course of his career, that seems to have uh, helped in that regard. And the power still has stayed there. I mean, the power was always there. It's just, there was so much strikeout that you could barely tolerate it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. And we're all a little bit scarred here in Toronto about Michael Saunders. He was an all-star last year and then just turned into, you know, maybe the worst baseball player, <laughs> everyday player in baseball for the last few calendar year or so. It's been, mm-hmm. uh, uh, it's been a rough ride. He's now back in the organization in Buffalo. Uh, so, you know, I think everybody is looking at it and, and wondering how sustainable this is for Smoke. But then again, you know, I mean, the reason we're talking about it, I'm, sh- I'm sure, is because he was such a huge prospect at one point and, and has such a pedigree in that way. And this is really finally Smoke showing what I think a lot of people thought he was going to be able to do early on in his career. I really don't know if I have anything more specific than how the hell is this happening. But <laughs> like, so I guess how sustainable do you think it is? And I don't, I don't know. I don't want to say like, I think it is really sustainable, but, but because it just, it does, it feels, it feels right. It feels like the, it's, it really is a new him. And if you look at, you know, the contact numbers and just, you know, go through the peripherals, it, there are, there are signs that suggest that he should be able to continue this. Uh, I, I don't really, I don't really know. And I, I'm afraid to like, to say, oh yeah, he's going to be great forever going forward because obviously that's probably going to turn out to be wrong. Even if, you know, if I say it for sure, it's going to be wrong, but yeah, I don't know. I'm as dumbfounded as you guys, obviously, as I'm stumbling around for reasons for uh, to, to explain this. Yeah, it's always sort of less satisfying when it's just a, a mental change in approach. Like a guy says that he's just not trying to do too much or something like that, Like, which is not to say that that can't have a major impact, but it's not something that we can identify on a stat you know, leaderboard or something and, and say, I mean, maybe a, a guy is swinging less or swinging less at certain pitches or something, but it's always a little more satisfying if there's like a new giant leg kick or something that he yeah. just added right yeah Which, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah no it, i mean it it looks the same he looks it, it there, there's nothing you know, physical that you can see that looks different, but the results sure have been different. And I don't, I don't know. It's great. It's just, he was so vilified. I can't underline how badly he was vilified and the, and the new general manager, Ross Atkins for signing him to an extension last summer, which everybody thought was sort of weird at the time. And he was, you know, he was hitting a, a little bit and then just completely went into the tank after that. He was, he was awful for the second half of last year. And then this winter, everybody, you know, was uh, going away from the big power bats and there were guys kind of smoke like that were, being given away for nothing inside, you know, Chris Carter's and, and, you know, Moreland signed a one-year deal and he, you know, smoking Moreland. There's a lot of uh, comparisons, I think there. And so Jays fans were rightly looking at the fact that they still had him for another two years, basically, and scratching their heads as to why the organization would have done a thing like that. And they said at the time, they thought, you know, Ross Atkins said, I think there's more in there. And we all kind of laughed about it, <laughs> frankly. And, uh, and, and it just, it was one of these moves that were emblematic of these new guys from Cleveland who've come in and who fans were really slow to take a shine to and I think a lot of people haven't yet warmed up to them uh, especially the way you know the team went to the playoffs in 2015 and then Alex Anthopoulos immediately left once more Shapiro came on uh, that relationship has been a, a, a difficult one it did not get off on the right foot and the smoke contract was was one of those things that was part of that relationship that, that had gone so sour and now it looks like uh, they're pretty smart for it so yeah. how much is the dialogue around I mean part of smoke staying is Edwin Encarnacion leaving and signing what turns out to be you know what looked at the at the time like a a a bargain contract really with with cleveland so how's the the feelings around toronto changed over the past few months as smoke is just outplayed uh encarnacion by pretty much every standard 
Yeah, you know, it's you don't hear too much about Edwin these days. I think people are, are hurt by that. They really wanted him to be back. He was a, a beloved guy here. He's just a fun guy to watch. Uh, looks like he's having fun out there and, and, you know, had a lot of really great years here. And so that was, you know, the way that went down with it being just sort of a weird quirk of, of negotiating where they just moved so quickly onto their plan B, which is Kendrick Morales, who has not has not played very well uh, as yet. He's been, you know, okay, but uh, that deal's not looking so great. But yeah, the the fact that Smoke is just out of nowhere turned into an all-star hitter is uh, is really, it, I guess it has changed the conversation a little bit. You know, the guys around him on the team, it would be nice if they were hitting a little bit better. But but yeah, it, it's definitely helped. It's definitely helped the front office, I think, uh, because they that the Edwin thing, again, was another misstep for them in terms of, you know, the public perception. Yeah, so you say out of nowhere, and I think most people would agree with that, but you might recall that Jeff Sullivan Fangrass post in March where he looked at Justin Smoke's stat cast stats from, I think, last season and showed that they were comparable to those of players who had better numbers. And mm-hmm. so he said there was maybe some reason for optimism. And then I think a lot of the response to that article was that, yes, Smoke maybe hits the ball hard and at a good angle when he hits it, but he just so rarely hits it. And I think people were saying, you know, he just can't hit breaking balls. And so he has this fatal flaw, essentially. And so those stats are misleading. But somehow this year, Smoke has dramatically cut down on his strikeout rate, improved his contact rate. It's not even as if he's not chasing anymore. He has the same sort of out of zone swing rate, but he is just making a lot more contact, which maybe does have something to do with what you were saying about a change in in mental approach and, and not trying to swing for the fences. But that, I guess, has been the big difference here because he did have power before, although not like this, or at least maybe he had power, but it, it wasn't able to be unlocked in games because he wasn't making contact frequently enough. Yeah, I, I think it does. It's like I said, it seems absurdly simple, but that does seem to be the case. Yeah, and I think that piece, was, uh, Freddie Freeman came up a bunch in that one uh, that, yeah. that Jeff Sullivan wrote. And, and again, people laughed about it and were, were looking at Smoke as a guy who could never do a thing like that. And uh, it's it's interesting. I mean, the Jays, the StatCast data, there have been, you know, they don't talk about it, but you can certainly see in some of the moves that they've made and, and some uh, that, you know, the I think Steve Pierce really graded out quite well by, you know, when you look into the granular stat cast stuff on batted balls and on angle and exit velocity and stuff like that. Morales, I think, looked pretty good in that as well. That, you know, this is obviously something that the Jays are, are incorporating into their evaluations, which, you know, I, I would imagine every team is doing. But uh, but maybe that's where they were coming from when they said they thought there was more in Smoke's bat than we'd seen when they signed the contract a couple of years ago or last summer. When Smoke was... I mean, a guy that big and strong is going to hit for some power, but even going back to his college days in South Carolina, and Ben, if you didn't think I was going to bring that up, you are absolutely <laughs> out of your mind. Um, uh-huh. Like He he uh, slugged 757 his junior year, but that was with the old bats, and he was always viewed as like sort of that Freddie Freeman or Mark Teixeira type prospect where he was going to hit a lot of line drives, and some of them would go out just by by virtue of him being as strong as he was. So it's just that just making better contact and not sort of getting getting fooled. Is that sort of where the power is coming from? Or is he just one of those guys who's benefiting from the juice ball? You know, there could be something to that too, for sure. But I, I think that, you know, just the, he has enough power that he doesn't have to swing out of his shoes all the time to, to you know, 
make good things happen. I think is sort of what it comes down to. It's weird though. You know, he came here and, and we get sold on his defense. It was, it was long. <laughs> that reputation had, had faded quite a bit. And that's the thing that, you know, people use to sell Justin smoke as a, as a player. Oh, you can't really quite quantify the first base defense. And he's great. He's great at, you know, picking those high throws from Josh Donaldson. And, and that always sort of seemed a little bit dubious, I think, but <laughs> so it's nice to, you know, have, actual offensive production from your first baseman. It's a, it's a novel concept around here. So if we can end with one broader Blue Jays question, they are entering the All-Star break coming off a 19-1 to loss at the hands of the Astros. They are in last place in the East, but not so far back that you can't still dream. So there's obviously been a ton of discussion about whether the Blue Jays will go one way or another, buyer or seller, or find some middle course in the next three weeks. Where do you think they will land? Where would you like them to land? I think they'll take the middle course. I think that's sort of been a thing that since day one of Shapiro and, and Ross Atkins that they've been building towards and recognizing that the roster has an age problem. And, and clearly we're seeing it this year more than we did last year and the year before. I mean, and I don't know. I don't know how much trade value they have in guys besides, you know, Donaldson and Stroman and Sanchez, or Roberto Osuna, guys who, you know, you think can still be part of the next very good Blue Jays team. So I don't think, uh, you know, people like to fantasize about a complete teardown. And I think fans, when they get frustrated after a game like today, for example, you know, are ready to burn the whole thing down. But I don't see the team going that way. I think they might move out some guys who have contracts that are coming up at the end of this year. Maybe, you know, maybe think about a J Hap if they, if they get the opportunity to move him for something that they, you know, an asset with uh, more term. But for the most part, I think they'll be looking to, to maybe bring in guys too, that can help them for the next couple of years and, and try to try to find some middle ground and not completely, blow everything up. They, they've they've got a, a wonderful thing here in terms of attendance and in terms of the, the TV ratings. Like it, it, It's incredible the way that uh, the Canada has gotten behind the team and the way that the, you know, you look at the TV numbers for other clubs and see, you know, the Blue Jays, I think had 4 million people watching just their, you know, their playoff games and, and they, they're pulling in a million viewers a night, which is, uh, which is huge numbers. And I think that the media company Rogers that owns the team also owns the channel that they're on. And that's something, you know, it's a golden goose i don't think they're going to be uh too hasty in terms in in uh, going into kill so uh so yeah i I think i don't know that that's necessarily what's going to drive the decision but i I think that there's probably middle ground to be found and that's what they're going to do so i i think i'm happiest with that myself i don't think i'm ready for to go back to the bad old days for another half decade or something like that so i think that's okay but it is you know you hate the thought of having Josh Donaldson just go and become a free agent next year uh, and never getting anything for that asset because it's such a huge trade piece is he's, you know, obviously an incredible, incredible player. So we're wrestling with that, but I think that's how it's going to go. And I think we should be as Blue Jays fans. Okay with it. All right. Well, whatever the Blue Jays do, Andrew Stoughton will be responding to those transactions or non-transactions. You can find him on Twitter at Andrew Stoughton. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Unsolicited today, Joey Votto comes up to me and says, Hey, you got a moment? I want to talk about my friend Kozart going to the All-Star game. Take a listen. The most important part, vote for Zach Kozart. If you vote for Zach Kozart, I'm getting him a donkey. He's going to have a donkey. And then after that, we can all name them together. What do you say? All right, so we have come to our fifth and final unlikely all-star to talk about that all-star, Zach Cozart of the Reds. We are bringing back a former guest, Zach Buchanan, who covers the Reds for the Cincinnati Inquirer. Hey, Zach. Hey, how's it going? All right, so 
Zach Cozart has really kind of been a constant this season as far as unlikely names close to the top of the leaderboard. He has fallen off to a certain extent, but has still put together a very fine first half of the season. 316, 394, 547 for Zach Cozart with his usual stellar defense. So how did we get to this point with Zach Cozart? Well, uh, you know, he started off each of the last two seasons pretty well. Certainly, yeah nothing like what he's doing now. But what he talked about whenever you talk about hitting with him and what's different for him is he made just a very simple change to his pre-pitch setup where he just drops the bat right on his shoulder and doesn't lift it until the ball's on its way. And he thinks that that's made all the difference in the world. Like he's watched, he watched guys in spring training like Francisco Lindor do it. He watched Joey Votto do it. And uh, he thought, well, that's the solution for the problem I've been having, which was he would always worry about his uh, hand position while the pitch is coming. And he spent so much time thinking, gee, are my hands in the right place? Am I changing my mechanics? Is this screwing me up? And then that, it just takes that completely out of the equation for him. And he thinks that's what's allowed him to be uh, a better player in terms of uh, strike zone command and all this kind of stuff. And he thinks it's just led to, to everything that's going well for him this year. So I, I don't know if it actually is that simple, but that's, that's certainly what he thinks. And I think to a certain extent, if you're, you know, have that kind of confidence in some change that you've made, you see some kind of extra benefits to that confidence. So I don't, I don't remember if I expressed it this way to you when you were on to talk about the Reds in general, but like we've talked about four really surprising seasons already, including Jason Vargas taking this leap at age 34 and Justin Smoke taking this leap in his age 30 season. And like Zach Cozart's got so much track record of being just a bad hitter in the big leagues that this is like I find myself sort of subconsciously rooting against him because it's so disconcerting that he has a 143 OP, OPS plus that it like throws off my sense of balance in the universe. This is how surprising it is. So like, is it similarly, what is it like when a guy you cover every day just turns it, you know, just wakes up one day at age 31 and it is a completely different player. I mean, it is, it is kind of incredible. And, uh, I mean, Zach's a, a very nice guy, so you're happy for him that it's working well for him. And it certainly provides a fun storyline, especially when donkeys start getting promised and things like that. Um, <laughs> but, I, I mean, I, I didn't expect him, and I still don't expect him to be this good throughout the whole season. I, I wrote like a month ago kind of trying to guess when Joey Votto would pass Zach Cozart an average for good and, and never look back. Because there was a similar situation last year, in part because Joey started really slowly, but with it with Jay Bruce where finally Joey kind of caught fire and passed Jay Bruce. And when that happened, Jay said, yeah, that was about a month after I expected that to happen. And so uh, I, I kind of predicted July 7th that, that Joey would pass Zach for good. And uh, it hasn't been the case that since Zach came back off the DL, he's continued to hit. And uh, it'll be really interesting to see if he can do this the rest of the season, keep his average above 300 and keep his on base above 400. I mean, it would be almost, I would guess pretty unprecedented, especially for a guy his age. But uh, when I see it maybe a little differently because it provides me so many storylines and things to write about. And it's super interesting, at least as long as he's on this team. Yeah. And it sort of seems as if this breakout, if you can call it that, has happened in two stages, right? Because in 2014, he was maybe the worst hitter in baseball. And then 2015, he got hurt. But up until he got hurt, he was an above average hitter, particularly for a shortstop. And there was this story that I've probably mentioned on five podcasts because it fascinated me so much about how that spring training, I think he was working with Barry Larkin and 
and Barry Larkin just told him to swing harder, essentially, or to hit the inside of the ball. And this totally changed Zach Cozart's mindset at the plate, which seems shocking to me that a veteran big leaguer could have his mind changed by another big leaguer saying, hey, swing harder. That seems like some advice that you would have encountered earlier in your career. But that was at least the the story at, at that time that I think was reported by your colleague, Trent Rosecrans. And so I'm I'm curious whether you think he was a genuinely better hitter over the last couple of years than he had been the couple of years before that. Although obviously the 2017 version appears to be another leap. I do think he was better. And it's funny because I hadn't heard that Barry Larkin story, uh, but the one that Cozart had talked about, which is interesting because it, it, it's actually so different from what he's doing now. He said the difference was, I guess in the second half, maybe a September of the last season where he was really bad when Skip Schumacher was on the team, Skip Schumacher basically said, dude, you, you hit the crap out of the ball when you swing first pitch, but you never swing first pitch. You should do that more often. And then hmm. Zach just kind of started being really aggressive and attacking first pitch and had more success. And he said, well, that's what kind of turned me around. Well, now, of course, he's not he's not doing that anymore. He's being really patient and working the count, and he's gotten even better. So I don't know what like what the true story is with why he's good now because we've had two – seemingly contradictory explanations, but uh, I do think he's, you know, he's a better hitter than he was three years ago and he kind of unlocked something and he was, you know, he was, a, I think a second round draft pick. I mean, they, they drafted him thinking that some of this was in there, certainly not what he's doing now, but uh, I don't think they expected him to be a below average hitter for as long as he was. It just took him a little while to figure it out. Since we talked to you last, the Reds have sort of fallen out of the NL Central race, and you alluded to the fact that Cozart, whose contract is up at the end of the season, could be on the move. So what's the, I don't know, what's the the rumblings that, that you're hearing about whether he's moving, and if so, where? Well, I actually talked to Dick Williams about this right after Trey Turner got hurt, because Nick Ahmed had just gone down, then Trey Turner, you think, well, suddenly there are two shortstop openings. And so I wanted to talk to him about it. And he said uh, he has not had calls from either uh, GM on the subject of, of Cozart. And I think both GMs have said publicly they're not necessarily going out to go to get a shortstop. But then Dick really threw a wrench in kind of my planned trade chatter story by saying unpromptedly that uh, they would be interested in exploring an extension with Zach, which surprised me a little bit because uh, going into the offseason, this past offseason, when I had run that by a few Reds people, they said, oh, that's a non-starter. There's no way we'd consider that. And it makes sense to a certain extent if you can get him for the right price because Jose Peraza has not figured it out. Dilson Herrera has started really slowly in, uh, in AAA, and next year Herrera will be out of options, which means you have to carry him in the majors. And so it's unclear whether the, the future of that of the middle infield that looked so bright last year when they acquired Herrera and, and Peraza was finishing the season setting the world on fire if it's really something you can depend upon next year. So I don't think that would happen because I think that Cozart would command more than the Reds would be willing to pay. And I think there's a possibility that Dick Williams is maybe just trying to signal that, you know, you can't get him for free on the trade market that they, Oh, you know, oh, well, we could just keep them, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. There certainly seem to be some logical openings now, although I guess both those teams, their shortstops are expected back before the end of the season. But I, I can't imagine if he keeps hitting the way that he does, that some team that needs an offensive boost wouldn't take 
a flyer on him. There's almost no risk. And I don't think it takes a world beating package to get him. So we know that the story as reported, Joey Votto promised him a donkey. He likes donkeys. This was in spring training. If he were to make his first all-star team. So now Votto owes him a donkey is in the process of procuring him a donkey. Do we know what he's going to do with the donkey? Does he have a place to put the donkey? Does he know how to take care of a donkey? He does not have a place to put the donkey. I think he, he, he has a good idea of how to take care of donkeys because I've talked to him about this subject several times. Um, <laughs> sure. And because for some, I, we, we tried to plumb the depths of like, well, why, why donkeys? Like, you know, why not some other animal? Um, but there are some donkeys out by Goodyear where the spring training facility is here in Arizona where you take his son to go see them and he just likes donkeys and he raves about, oh, yo, they're great. They ward off predators from your cattle. <laughs> like who knows these facts? Does he have cattle? But <laughs> right, <laughs> I don't know. He doesn't have cattle. He doesn't. But he, he's using. I think he's he's he a he loves donkeys and b he's wanted to buy like some land for a while outside of their home in Nashville to to have you know something like that. Maybe not to have cattle. I don't know. But this would be a good excuse to buy some land because you have to have somewhere to put the donkey. But uh, he says he's had a lot of people reach out in Cincinnati offer to take care of the donkey on his behalf, which. Who knows if that'll happen? But I'm excited to see this donkey. I've, I've been on the donkey beat for a little while here trying to figure out what's going to happen. <laughs> Seems like Joey yes. Votto's getting him an expensive real estate deal for an all-star present. I know, right? Yeah, it seems yeah. like Ducky's going to end up costing him more than buying a donkey would. But but yeah, maybe it can be a, a foster situation where he has visitation rights or something. I don't know. But yes, I know that you will be on top of the donkey beat. Yeah, actually, on the off chance that the donkey appeared on Sunday when they announced their, the all-star selections, I actually <laughs> rearranged my travel plans and went out to Colorado a day later just to be there, of course. That didn't happen, but uh, I'll definitely, I'm, I'm not going to miss this donkey. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> All right. Well, we will talk to you again sometime in the future when you have met the donkey and can give us a, a more detailed report. Until then, you can read Zach in the Cincinnati Inquirer. You can find him on Twitter at Zach ENQ. Thank you very much, Zach. Enjoy the break. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. All right. So we have run this all-star guest gauntlet and we now will take a, a few days off. We'll be back with our regular episode on Thursday. Baseball will be back on Friday. So enjoy the Home Run Derby. Enjoy the all-star game. We will talk to you on the other side of that. See you, Michael. Bye. Let scratches be the end of your sunglasses. Save your sunglasses and replace your lenses with Revent Optics. Revent Optics offers high-quality replacement lenses for any brand, starting at just $24. With over 500,000 customers worldwide and an average rating of 99.7%, Revent Optics guarantees incredible clarity and a perfect fit or your money back. Get 20% off your first order with code MLB at reventoptics.com MLB. 